morning, church. The scripture reading this morning comes from Joshua 24. It can be found on page 6 in the bulletin. I will be reading verses 1 through 5, 14 through 22, and 25 to 28. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan, and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but to Jacob and his family, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what they did there, and I brought you out. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away your gods, your ancestors' worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us in our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites, who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people, and there at Shechem he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak tree near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, This stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us, and it will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to their own inheritance. Thank you, Wendy. I want to note that earlier in Steve's prayer, 
Uh, he mentioned last year as being a special year because of Pastor Yancey's ordination, but Steve was too modest to also note his own ordination as the first ruling elder of our congregation, and so I'll do that on his behalf. We thank you, Lord, for Steve's ordination and calling and his service to our community as a shepherd. And so we're grateful. Let's keep praying. Let's keep praying. Let's pause now and let's pray for this time. Jesus, we are asking that you come now and that you be present. That can almost sound like uh, token words or just platitudes that we throw out there, but we really mean it. You promise that when your word is preached, you are personally present, working by your spirit in our hearts, changing us. You promise this. And so by faith, we believe that you are here, alive and working in our midst, which means that in these next few minutes, who knows what can happen? Who knows what you'll do? We pray that you would do your will. We pray that you would help us to see you, help us to be attentive to your words, remove the scales from our eyes, help us to see your glory, change our hearts, change our church. Come now, Lord Jesus, glorify yourself in this time. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I remember I was wearing a, a scratchy suit, one that my mom would make me wear on special occasions as a kid. I remember we were sitting in a church. The man and the woman stood up front at the altar facing each other, like a bride and a groom often do. But I was a little bit confused that day. The two people before us were a little bit older than my parents. I didn't know them very well, but I did know that they were already married. And at one point in the service, the couple, still facing each other, exchanged words with each other, something like this. Twenty years ago, I promised to be by your side in sickness and in health, in times of plenty and in want, for better or worse, for the rest of our lives. Today, in the presence of God, I pledge my love to you again. I later learned that these two family friends of ours weren't getting married that day. It was their anniversary. And that day, they were renewing their wedding vows. It was like they were getting married all over again. Though it was new to me and a little bit confusing as a kid, I later understood I wasn't at a wedding. I was at a vows renewal ceremony. Now, that's essentially what's taking place in today's passage in Joshua 24. You might have noticed that verse 1 tells us that a, a special ceremony is taking place. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel. We're also told they presented themselves to God. And then we also hear this language in verse 25 towards the end. We're told, on that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. Well, what is going on? Theologians describe this chapter here in the Old Testament book of Joshua as a covenant renewal ceremony. You see, the Bible tells us that the God of the universe comes down and relates to humanity personally 
through what's called covenants. A covenant is kind of like a legal contract, but it's actually more than a contract. A covenant is a relationship of mutual commitment, and it's protected by promises and vows that are exchanged one with another, and those vows and promises are held accountable to witnesses. Witnesses, a word that we actually find used four times in verses 22 and 27. A covenant is being renewed, according to the Bible, to know God personally, to be saved by God, is to be in a covenant with God. And on this day in Joshua 24, kind of like a husband and a wife, the people of Israel are renewing their vows their covenant vows with their God. After all, it's a climactic moment in the Old Testament. After 400 years of waiting on God's promise to be fulfilled, the Israelites here under Joshua's leadership have finally settled into the promised land. Joshua is soon going to pass on. He's at this point 110 years old. And this is sort of his farewell speech in chapter 24. So he's preparing the people for this transition time with covenant renewal. It's a new day. This is a new beginning for the people. They're starting a new chapter in their relationship with their covenant God. And that's also why for us, the new year is a good time for us to reflect on this biblical theme of covenant renewal. In fact, over the centuries, Christians have done just that at the beginning of each new year, looking back on the past year, looking forward to the new year, and renewing their relationship with God. Friends, this morning, I want to invite you as individuals, and to invite us collectively as a church to spend some time in this new year in covenant renewal, renewing our side of our relationship with God. You may have spent time already making new year resolutions. You may have started a new job. You may have renewed your gym membership. But beloved, have you taken the time to renew your relationship with God? What we find in this passage are four components, four components, covenant renewal. First, remember, we call to mind the way that God has been faithful to us. Remember. Second, repent. We grieve the many ways in which we have forgotten God's promises and turned away from him. Third, reorient. We turn back to God and his unchanging love. And fourth, finally, recommit. After remembering, after repenting and reorienting, we recommit. We reaffirm our commitment to the person, the promises, and the purposes of God. Remember, repent, reorient, recommit. Let's unpack these elements of covenant renewal a little bit more. First, remember. 
Remember, notice how Joshua starts in verse 2. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Commit to me. Serve me. No, he doesn't go straight to recommitment. He starts with long ago, your ancestors. He starts with a history lesson. He starts with stories of the past. And so he reminds them of their beginnings with their patriarch father, Abraham. And he even says this in verse 2, Long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father, Abraham. You notice there, he doesn't start by saying, Abraham, your father, who was such a great guy, loved me from the start. No, he starts by reminding them that Abraham was a pagan idol worshiper who didn't know God, but was known by God, who didn't pursue God, but was pursued by God. Joshua starts with a story of God's unmerited favor, his grace. You see, covenant renewal involves recommitment. We're going to get there in a moment, but notice a renewed relationship with God starts not with our commitment to God, but rather by remembering his commitment to us. Covenant renewal begins with grace. And in fact, we even have this reminder here in verse 3 where God says, and he gave uh, Abraham many descendants. Which, of course, if you're familiar with the story, if you're not, that's okay. But going all the way back to Genesis 12 and 15, 17, the story of God promising to bless Abraham so as to become the father of many nations, the head of a household comprised of many peoples from all over the world. And yet Abraham had no children, not even one. Well, what would God do? He would provide for him a large family, many descendants, It was long in the coming, too long at first it seemed to Abraham and Sarah, his wife, and yet God finally delivered a miracle baby son, his boy Isaac. And so in verse 3, by mentioning that God gave Abraham many descendants, Joshua's reminding the people, God fulfills his promise. God is a promise-keeping God. Again, this note of grace, which continues as he mentions and reminds them of Isaac and Jacob and Esau. And then in verse 5, I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there and brought you out, out from where? Out from slavery. I delivered you. I set you free. And it's not printed here in the bulletin, but in verses 6 through 13, continuing on, Joshua repeats the story of the people's settlement into the promised land, their great inheritance, the fulfillment of the grand promise that God would not only make them a people, but God would give them a place. You see, Joshua starts in this covenant renewal ceremony by inviting them to remember all the ways that God has been faithful to them. And so here we too, at this transition point of a new year, having just started a new year, 2019, but still with time 
to look back upon 2018, I pose to you this question. Do you remember all the ways that God has been faithful to you? Have you remembered? Have have you actually taken time to recount, to list off, to recall, maybe to journal about, maybe to talk to others about, because words make things more real, don't they? When we tell others about them, to tell about all the ways that God has been kind to you, Uh, pointing out specific evidences of God's grace, giving concrete examples of his great love for you. Some of you need to share the testimony with somebody, maybe even today. I thank God that I'm alive. Some of you need to tell stories that this past year was a year in which I can say, God has changed me. Some of you can make note of specific gifts that God has given to you, a new friend perhaps, a home, a church, a job, a positive diagnosis. What do you need to call to mind to give God praise as you remember his faithfulness to you? One thing that stands out in the way that Joshua tells the story of God's faithfulness is the use of the personal pronoun I as God himself speaks to the people again and again about I did this for you and I did that for you and I did this in verse three, but I took your father Abraham from the land. I gave him Isaac, verse four. I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country, verse five. Then I sent Moses and Aaron and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there and I brought you out. Do you hear the point that's being made there? The central actor in the story of God's faithfulness to Israel is God. And it's interesting. I see it in my own heart when you look back on 2018. And if you told the story, a little brief narrative, a snapshot about how the year went, who would be the central character in the story you tell? Would it be God? Well, I don't mean to discourage you by making that point. Let me flip it around a little bit. What would it sound like for you to scan through the last year with a new lens, uh, with a new focus, and looking for all the fingerprints of God throughout the year, and to retell that narrative by noting all the ways in which God was actually the central actor in the story of you? Recently, I was at the toy store together with our kids. Their grandmother had told them that she would buy them a toy, and so a lot of my time was spent ushering my son around, who, of course, has the, uh, the delayed gratification of nothing, a zero as far as that's uh, concerned, and also the short-term memory of Dory from finding Dory and finding Nemo. So he goes around and everything he sees, he, this is the one I want. This is the toy that I want. This is the one that I want. This is my favorite thing. And at one point, he came across this aisle where he found some night vision goggles. And I'm walking around with him and I tell you, I was really angling for that one because I want some night vision goggles. <laughs> I thought that would be pretty cool my whole life. I don't know, some of you might be in jobs where you, I don't want to know, but... Uh, to think that you could sit there in the dark. I try to explain it to him. I don't think he could get his mind around it, right? You could sit in the dark where you can't see anything, put these gadgets on, 
And you can see things that you couldn't previously see. Look, what this is inviting us to do is to look back on the last year, which might have even been, to extend the metaphor, a little bit dark for you, and to put on some God-centered night vision goggles, and to dare to explore all the ways in which you couldn't see him there, but by faith, now you can see that God was always in the room. What would that look like for you? What would that kind of remembrance look like for you? And of course, we're not just talking about, this passage isn't just talking about just our practical circumstances. This was hard and this wasn't hard. That's important too. But remember, Joshua's reminding them the story of their exodus, their deliverance from Egypt, them becoming the people of God in the first place, dear friends. Will you take time to remember your story of salvation? The way in which God rescued you from the slavery, not of Pharaoh, but of the Pharaoh of your heart, sin. The way in which God has sent his son, not just generally, but personally for you. The way in which Christ died for your sins, taking on the punishment and penalty of all of your selfishness, all of your sins crushing his son in order that he might not crush you, but rather receive you as a son, as a daughter, adopt you into his family, lavish his love upon you, his love that never changes, that you can look back and say, however last year went, maybe littered with failures, but because of Christ, God's love for me never changed, not once. Or you look back and you say, that was a great year full of accomplishments, And you can give rest to your exhausted heart to say, you know what? That didn't increase God's love for me either. Praise God, because his love for me never changes. You can't improve on perfection. This is the story of your salvation. If you have been in Christ, this is an invitation to salvation. If you don't yet know Christ in that way, maybe this new year can be the day that you really embark upon a journey in earnest to explore who Jesus is is and what it might mean for you to be a part of his family, to know his gospel, to be set free from sin. Number one, we got to start here. Remember. Do you know the grace of remembering? Will you remember today? Secondly, repent. Repent. Remembrances of God's kindness lead to repentance. As we remember God's faithfulness to us, we're reminded of all the ways that we've been unfaithful to him. Here's what Joshua says in the second half of of verse 14. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. This is an invitation to repent. Covenant renewal raises this question, not just remember, but what are the sins that you need to repent of? Moral failures in your life, 
hard to break habits that you know are destroying your own soul or maybe the souls of people around you. To repent and to receive, here's good news, forgiveness from God. A new beginning in Christ. Here's an invitation to repent. And we need to be specific about these sins that we detect in our lives. But notice, this passage is calling us not just to surface sins, but rather to the deeper operations of our hearts. We're being invited to repent of what's called idolatry. See, not just, I made a few mistakes, but rather, I have served other gods. Idolatry might sound like a strange word or idea that really the Bible says applies to all of us. You say, well, I don't have little figurines on my nightstand. Well, you don't need to. There's a spiritual kind of Worship of false gods, functional gods in our lives that the Bible is telling us about. Ways in which we can take just about anything, but especially the good things of life, and treat them as if they were God to us. Uh, Things that we feel like we don't just want, but we need to have in order to have life. That we need to have in order to have significance and glory. That we need to have in order to feel loved that we need to have in order to feel like we're somebody, that is idolatry, giving anything in life the status that God alone should have and seeking to gain from those things, things that God alone can bless you with. Life, immortality, significance, meaning, forgiveness, atonement, favor, intimacy. What is it for you? What are those deeper things in your heart that you need to repent of? And even as you look back at 2018, what are those idols of your heart that really were flaring up in a special way, perhaps? As you looked forward to 2019, what do you see most as being the the great idols that might be the deepest kind of temptation to your hearts? What do you need to be most aware of, vigilant towards? I don't know about you, but when I'm tempted to lie or to bend the truth, it's often because deep down I'm a people pleaser. I tend to worship people's opinions about me. See, that's the idolatry beneath the surface sin. Or when I'm tempted to work to the point of exhaustion, it's often because, not just because I'm working too much, but because I worship my productivity. I look to achieve and accomplish to see those achievements and accomplishments give to me what only God can give, and that's a sense of meaning and significance. That's what idolatry is. And you see, even in this passage, we're reminded that there's all kinds of gods that can flare up in our hearts. In verse 14, there's a reference to the gods of your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates. Well, what was beyond the Euphrates? Babylonian gods. And then later in that verse, God's in all of Egypt. So there's Egyptian idols that are being referenced here. And then verse 15, Joshua mentions the gods of the Amorites, which were sort of more the local gods over here. Uh, There's gods everywhere. There's gods all over in here. If we're not careful, what is it that you are most worshiping in your hearts? What is it? And you know one of the ways that you can best tell what really makes you mad, what really sets you off, 
What makes you really scared? What's the greatest nightmare that you can think up in your heart? Could that actually lead you down the road of saying, oh, the road into your own heart. Oh, that must be an idol. I might be clinging too tight. I might be needing it too much. I might be worshiping that thing, that person. What is it in your heart? Number two, repent. False gods, idols, repent. Thirdly, reorient, reorient. Look at verse 16, where the people say, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord, our God himself, who brought us and our parents out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed these great sins before our eyes, signs, sorry, before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. What's going on there? Notice a few things. First, notice that they actually repeat a bit of the story that Joshua told in the earlier verses that we looked at. They're repeating the story. Secondly, they tell it with personal pronouns. They refer to our God who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt, performed signs before our eyes. He protected us. And then finally, they lay a claim to God himself. He is our God. So what is this? What is this all about, this reorientation? It's this, that repentance isn't simply saying sorry for your sins. Repentance is taking the story of God's faithfulness into your heart. It's it's actually putting personal pronouns to God's promises. It's actually being able to say that all the ways in which God promises to be these things to me, faithful, kind, patient, gentle, a provider, a, a, a tough, loving parent at times when I need it, a friend, a father, all these things, he has not been generally, he has been for me. As you store up in your heart a, a deep sense of God's love, making God to be a God for you and not against you. This is being able to say with Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Not in general, but in me. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, repentance isn't just simply turning away from idols. It's turning back to God. And it's receiving God in a new and fresh way. And not just for the things that God gives you, but for the person that he is to you. As we often sing in that one song, because of who you are, I give you glory. Lord, I worship you because of who you are. You see, the reoriented heart is a heart that says, together with Israel, he is our God. He is my God. I'm not just identifying the idols of my heart and repenting of my sins. I'm turning back to him. Not vaguely, not generally, but personally. I'm looking at him in the face, even as he looks at me in the face, to communicate his love and mercy to me. Will you reorient yourself with an undivided heart towards this gracious and compassionate God? And then finally and fourthly, recommit. Recommit. 
Here we have several exhortations that the people of God would serve God. Verse 14, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Serve the Lord with all faithfulness. Commentator and theologian David Jackman says this, it is highly appropriate that all God has done for his people should now be matched by their loving, wholehearted, and exclusive devotion to him. Might this be a time, might this month, might this day be a time that in light of God's faithfulness, in light of God's kindness, in light of God's forgiveness, in light of God's covenant love for you, in light of his mercy and his gentleness and patience towards you, that you might give yourself now wholeheartedly to him. I admit even in my own life how seldom it seems like I in a focused way really do that act as an act of recommitment. To say along with that old song that you may or may not be familiar with, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. When was the last time that you settled your heart down and you said to the Lord God, I want to serve you and you only? Because you have so served me. I commit myself to you because you have been a God that has been committed to me. Even unto death you have been. The death of your son, Christ, on my behalf. Will we be a people that might recommit ourselves to the Lord today? Will you commit to serving Christ with extravagant worship, holding nothing back from him? You commit to serving Christ by serving his people, loving your brothers and your sisters in these coming months with an unusually sacrificial love. What have you been holding back, not just from God, but from one another? What would it look like for you to unleash a radical kind of love that blesses, that serves, that cares, that lifts up? You commit to serving Christ by forgiving others as Christ himself has forgiven you. By loving your neighbors and even your enemies. Because after all, Christ himself has loved you. Will you commit to serving Christ by serving those whom he's made in his image, caring for the most vulnerable among our neighbors in our local neighborhood? Will you commit to serving Christ by saying along with the Apostle Paul, as he says in Philippians chapter 3, to say it this year, perhaps more than ever before, I want to know Christ. I want to know him. Like I've never known him before. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in death and so somehow to attain resurrection from the dead. Will you recommit yourself to serving, knowing, and loving Christ today? And will you do so keeping two things in mind to close with these. That even as we recommit ourselves to God, 
And even as we use this grand idea of covenant renewal, that this recommitment can absolutely and mostly does take the form of very ordinary and even small commitments on a daily basis. You notice how this passage finishes. After all this big covenant-making, covenant renewal ceremony, verse 28 tells us this. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to their own inheritance. Their inheritance, of course, was the plot of land that was allocated to each of the tribes to which the people belonged. In other words, Joshua leads the people in renewing their covenant with the God of the universe, and then at the end of it, what? They went home to live out covenant renewal, to the ordinariness of their daily lives, to say, yes, we will serve God and him alone in the kitchen, in the kids' playroom, in the streets amongst our neighbors, in my work as a farmer or an administrator, in the daily warp and woof of life. I mean, really, what a boring, anticlimactic ending. Well, no, because this is where faithfulness is normally most carried out. You see, the recommitment that the gospel calls us to doesn't necessarily mean doing something awesome for God. It means ordinary faithfulness to Christ and to neighbor. It doesn't mean just doing awesome things for Christ. It means that your main job is to behold an awesome Christ, which, of course, from time to time will lead us down to some radical choices that God might lead you to make. But, beloved, don't ever let those radical things before you make you overlook the ordinary things, the people whose faces you pass by every day, the needs and callings that surround you, especially those things that you feel like are beneath you or the people you feel like are beneath you. Pay attention to these. This is where covenant faithfulness is best applied. Secondly, what we also find here is an invitation to make these recommitments with Humble reliance upon the grace of God. I don't know if you noticed this. This is almost comical the way this end part of this passage goes about. Joshua says, look, I don't know about you all. This is the end of verse 15. But as for me and my household, excuse me, we will serve the Lord. And then in verse 18, the people respond, yeah, 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 yeah. We too will serve the Lord. And then verse 19, Joshua responds, you are not able to serve the Lord. And then they respond, verse 21, no, 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 we will serve the Lord. And Joshua says in verse 22, you are witnesses against yourself. And they respond, yes, we are witnesses. What is going on here? I mean, Joshua just seems like the most discouraging leader imaginable. I mean, he should be saying something like, good job, come along, good, yeah, let's do it together. No, he says, You're not going to do it. What is going on there? One of our greatest spiritual dangers is what you might call spiritual overconfidence. You see, whatever God puts on your heart, maybe something that's already on your heart, ways in which you want to be faithful all over again, ways in which you're moved to remember the faithfulness of God, ways in which you want to love or serve, whatever it might be, 
Here's what Joshua is reminding the people. You can't do that on your own power. You need God's help. Left to yourself, you are surely going to fail. Because our hearts are just that selfish, that wired towards our own glory, that lustful of idols all around us, that leaning towards our own good and our own glory. What is Joshua reminding them? Maybe he detected some arrogance. Maybe he detected a little bit of glibness as the people were saying, yeah, yeah, we'll serve God. I mean, obviously we'll serve God. No, humble yourselves and say, can't do this without the mercy of Christ. Can't do this without the repeated forgiveness of God. I can't do this without God's help. So help us, God. Help us, God. Joshua says here, look, you know the character of God. You're going to need him, his help, verse 19, because he's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He won't forgive your rebellion and your sins, not just by blinking his eyes. He can't do it. He's a just God. He needs to uphold standards of righteousness. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end on you, of you after he's been good to you. And then Joshua even erects this stone, kind of this monument this stone monument, he says, as a witness before the people. It has heard the words the Lord has said to us, Joshua said in verse 27. It will be a witness against you and if you are untrue to your God. You see, it's no small thing to say, I will serve the true and living God. We will need the help of God. We will need to do this on our knees. And so does this then mean that we step forward with insecurity and trepidation in a way that sort of makes us unwilling? No, actually, take confidence in this. Look, left to ourselves, we would be failures, but God promises help. You know why? Because he's promised, he's provided Someone that actually would be perfectly faithful in your place as your representative. Someone who actually can execute perfect covenant renewal. Who actually would be able to make commitments and keep commitments, keep covenant before God on your behalf. Not Joshua, but one that was called the greater Joshua, one who actually had the same name as Joshua in the Hebrew Yeshua, and we know him as Jesus, as someone who actually worshiped God and served him only, always, one who on the cross was forsaken by God, though he never forsake forsook God ever. One who was perfectly faithful in all of his commitments, and yet God brought disaster upon him for our unfaithfulness. God made an end of him, his life, because of our breaking covenant. He died for you and me, and then he rose again, and he lived, and there was a large stone that was rolled in front of the tomb, and 
But when he rose, it was rolled away. Another kind of stone that served as a witness that Jesus is alive. And it's by his spirit that, yes, you and I can be faithful to our commitments. Not in ourselves, but in him, the faithful one, our covenant-keeping Christ. He's our hope this year. Do you believe that? He's the one that can give you grace and strength to keep the commitments that I urge you to make for this coming year. Friends, this morning, again, I urge you, individually, collectively as a church, shall we spend some time in covenant renewal this month, this day, this week, renewing our side of our relationship with God? Because you may have spent time making New Year's resolutions. You may have renewed your gym membership. But dear friends, have you taken the time to renew your relationship with God. And you can, because he always renews his with you. His mercies are new every morning, every year, every day, every moment. God renews his covenant. Behold your covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. Let's pray. We need your help. We glory in your faithfulness to us. We rejoice in this calling. We're grateful for the opportunity to refresh our hearts before you. We pray that you would do that in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together and let's sing. This song says, tempted, tried, and sometimes failing, he, my strength, my victory wins. Let's sing this with confidence after we heard God's word this morning. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Fail me for 